Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. God is good and all the time. My name is John Omis. I'm the lead pastor here at New City Fellowship. And uh, I'm just going to tell you a quick story because I know I've already gotten asked, what's going on with your lip there, buddy? Um, What's that red spot? And it's not a marker. Um, I wish I had something cool to tell you, like I had some injury while sparring at the dojo, but that's, it's not that cool. Um, this is a pizza eating injury on my lip here. And so my wife uh, cooked pizza and she brought it to me and she said, be careful, it's hot. You know, and as a dad, like, you're like, you know, we're supposed to carry hot things. Like the kids are afraid of anything that's warm and you're like, that's not that bad. So of course I just bite into it. And that is how I sustained this pizza eating injury. And so two things, uh, men, listen to your wives. They know what they're talking about. But then secondly, I want to raise awareness about PEIs or pizza eating injuries and let you know that they're real. And there are those of us that have to walk through these things. So um, be careful out there. So I just want to get that out there because everyone's like, what's going on there? Um, Anyways, a little funny story just about how I need um, to listen to my wife more. But We are in this series called For the Life of the World, and we're looking at the ways that Christianity, the Christian faith, brings life to the world, the the resources that it offers for human flourishing. And we've talked about beauty, we've talked about goodness, and this week we're going to talk about truth, how Christianity offers truth for the life of the world. Now, in our text for today, we're going to be looking at John 18. And in John 18, Jesus is on trial before he goes to the cross. He's already been uh, brought before the Jewish leaders, and they've roughed him up a little bit. And now he is, he is being brought to Pilate. Now, Pilate is the Roman governor there in Jerusalem. He is part of the empire, the bad guys who are ruling and reigning over God's people there, uh, part of the colonizers there. And so the Jewish leaders want Pilate to sign off on their execution of Jesus. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate has this really intriguing, famous question that he asks about truth. And so as we read John 18, 33 through 40, look for what's in the background as Jesus and Pilate talk about truth. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll read God's word. Jesus, we just pray that you would be present in your word. Uh, We pray that you would change our hearts, that you would strengthen us where we need strengthening, that you would soften us where we need softening, and that you would deepen our love for you. And all God's people said, amen. John 18, 33 through 40, I'm reading the CSB. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. 
I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then here's that question. What is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. What is truth? Um, before we look into that question, maybe you can help me fill in the blank. When you got caught doing something wrong by your mom, she looked at you and she said, tell the, tell the truth, right. Uh, when there's a high point in a movie, when maybe two characters are going mano a mano, it is the moment of truth. When there's injustice happening and you gotta call it out, you, what do you speak to power? Speak truth to power. And maybe one of the most famous movie lines, you can't handle the, the truth, okay. All right, we have some cultural reference points that we can get on board with uh, when it comes to truth. But as soon as I venture away from that and, and into some other things, we're gonna find that we disagree on a lot of things when it comes to truth, especially uh, when we start talking about truth in politics. We wrestle with what the truth is. All I have to do is throw out a few things. January 6th, the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, the raid on Donald Trump's house, all the recent Supreme Court justices, gender and sexuality. When we hear all those things, all of a sudden the room got quiet and everyone got a little uncomfortable because when we hear those things, we all have our opinion on what the truth is. And as we think about those issues in politics and the truth, we tend to think about it this way. We all tend to think about layers of deceit. We think about competing narratives where stories are told differently to prove a point. We're thinking about grasping for power. That's one of the ways that we think about truth in our country, but we also think about it much more personally. A phrase that's really common in our culture is the idea of my truth. Like my experience tells me, and therefore this is my truth. And we've seen that a lot more um, with the rise of what we call the religious nuns. Now when I say nuns, it's not N-U-N-S, like a Catholic nun, but N-O-N-E-S. In other words, someone who doesn't claim any religion. And maybe that's you here today. I'm, I'm glad you're here to be part of this discussion. But we've seen a, a rise of people who would say, I don't claim any religious category. I'm a nun. What's interesting, out of those people, two-thirds of them agree with this statement. Whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. 67% uh, of people who are religious nuns agree with that. And almost half of Christians agree with that. In one sense, I understand why. Uh, we all have different experiences. We all come from different places. In our country, we're having a rise in mental health awareness and self-care. So we're becoming more familiar with ourselves and what works for us. And so in one sense, I get that people understand themselves better. And I can't really know what happened in politics. I don't know the story. I don't really know what's happening in religion, but I do know me. And so I understand, in a sense, why my truth 
and the idea of being a religious nun has grown. Uh, Tara Isabel Burton, who has this quote, she says, though, it's, it's not so much that people are doing away with religion as much as they're remixing religion. In other words, they're taking apart from Christianity and they're taking a, apart from what we might call mysticism or, or New Age or Eastern religions. They're, they're remixing religion into making it their truth. And this is one of the reasons why the truth claims of Christianity can be so offensive in our culture. Um, Francis Schaeffer coined the term true truth. In other words, he thought Christianity was not just a truth, but the truest truth. And, and that's offensive in our culture when we talk about truth, because all religions, they have good people, right? And they all make truth claims. And how do you know that one is right above the other? Who are you to say that? But that's what Christianity says. Christianity says that it is the story behind all other stories. That when you dig to the truest thing in the universe, there you will find uh, the Christian faith. And that's hard for us, whether we're Christians or not. Uh, it's hard for us because life is hard. And life is painful. And we wrestle not just on a head level with truth, but on a heart level with truth. If God is the true God, why is my life so painful? If God is true, why is there so much suffering in the world. And so we kind of find ourselves wrestling not only intellectually, but emotionally with this question, what is truth? But we do need to know truth in order to flourish. Humans cannot flourish in this world without truth. Uh, we don't thrive in the midst of falsehood. We don't do well when we are deceived at every turn. We don't flourish in the midst of lies and dishonesty. We flourish when there's truth. We flourish when we're connected to reality. We need truth to flourish because every day you and I have moral decisions that we have to make. We have decisions that we have to make. And we have to make a decision about whether something's right or something's wrong. Now, sometimes those decisions take wisdom, but sometimes we're going what do I do? There is a right and there is a wrong and it is not clear and I have to make a decision what's true. This is one of the great failures, I think, of moral relativism in our culture. Moral relativism says, you do you. Whatever's true is what you want to do. But at the same time, our culture is calling us to equality and justice. So which is it? Do I get to determine what's true for me? Or is there something outside of me that calls to me, that calls me to a truth? It cannot be both. Morality can't just only be from the inside or only be from the outside. We, we have to come to a place of consistency. One of the other weaknesses, I think, of my truth is that we don't wrestle with how my truth affects others. I found this article, and this article was about an author from 100 years ago, an author named J.D. Unwin. And I don't think you've ever heard of him. Um, he was an Oxford professor of social anthropology. In other words, he studied culture. And he wrote this 600-page book where he looked at 86 different societies. And the book was called Sex and Culture. So he's just looking at how sexuality integrates with culture. And, 
And it was very interesting for him to look at 86 different societies and how sex correlated to flourishing. Now, in our culture, we tend to think, what's my truth? I want to do what I want to do with my sexuality. And, and that religious stuff, man, that's just oppressive. It doesn't lead to human flourishing. But what Unwin found was that the more a culture moved towards total sexual liberation or doing whatever they wanted to do, the closer the culture moved to destruction. That's really interesting. The guy who wrote the article, Kirk Durston, said, his, he read the conclusions and it said, if total sexual freedom was embraced by a culture, that culture collapsed within three generations to the lowest state of flourishing, which Unwin characterized by people having little interest in much else other than their own wants and needs. And that culture is usually conquered or taken over by another culture with greater social energy. This was written in 1934, uh, 30 years before the sexual revolution. Now we're three generations past the sexual revolution and we're gonna test out Unwin's theory here. We're actually gonna see what happens, but what he says will happen is happening. Uh, when people just go after sexual freedom, within three generations, a society starts to crumble because people turn inward and are only concerned about their own wants and their own needs and my truth. It's interesting to think about. This guy wasn't a Christian. He's just a social anthropologist. He's just studying culture. And he comes to this conclusion. But I think we should re-examine my truth as well. Um, my truth at 22 was a lot different than my truth at 32. I look back on my truth at 22 and I was a little foolish. And it makes me wonder what I'll look back on on this part of my life when 10 years down the road. But I think also ultimately we're all looking for some ultimate truth. Um, even sometimes Christians get made fun of for evangelizing or proselytizing or trying to share their faith or trying to convert people to their faith. And other people say, man, don't do that. Um, you don't have an ultimate take on reality. All religions are the same. But even that statement, all religions are the same, is a claim and ultimate truth. We're all trying to get there, right? So even in a Christian trying to share the gospel with someone else and someone saying no, the, the other person's still trying to convert the Christian to their spiritual view. So we can't get away from this idea of truth, of ultimate truth. We need truth to flourish. And as we look at this story, just as we're wrestling on so many different levels with truth, we see Pilate wrestling as well with that question. What is truth? Now, he has a moral decision in front of him. There Jesus stands in front of him, and he has an inkling that Jesus is innocent, that he is a moral, virtuous man at the very least. He might not know he's the son of God, but he looks at Jesus and he goes, I don't think what's going on here is the truth. Uh, I think that there's some sort of political backstory going on where these leaders in the Jewish community are trying to set this guy up because they don't like him. And so he's trying to wrestle with not only truth on a moral level and the decisions that he has to make, but he's also trying to wrestle with the truth of a political narrative and the power that's happening and being shifted and being used in that story. So first of all, let's talk about that. Power truth. Those who are in power 
usually are the ones who determine the truth, right? I mean, we, we say that in our culture. But here Jesus is standing in front of Pilate, and he has no power. He's a poor, impoverished man who probably has some bruises on his face, not pizza burns, but bruises on his face from being hit by the Jewish leaders. In verse 36 through 37, he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Oh, you are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. Now, when Jesus talks about his kingdom here, he says his kingdom is not from this world, but he doesn't mean it's not in this world. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven because Jesus' kingdom is present in this world. It just doesn't come from this world. It comes from heaven. And so therefore, it's a different kind of kingdom. When we talk about truth and power, we're used to people lying and deceiving. We're used to people grasping at the narrative so that they can control what happens. But here we say Jesus, here we see Jesus, not denying that he's a king, because he says he has a kingdom that's in this world, and yet he has no power. In fact, he stands in front of a ruler who was about to sentence him to death, and he just takes it. Because Jesus' grasp for power isn't really a grasp for power. It's not a worldly kingdom. It's not someone who need, he's not someone who needs to try and make sure everybody uh, or tries to manipulate people to believe the truth because his kingdom is spiritual. His kingdom is spiritual. It's not worldly. And so the power of his kingdom isn't in grasping for power or manipulating the truth or grasping for narratives. Rather, his kingdom is much more like something that infects. Like if you look at this building, you go, where's the power? Well, we see it. Here's the lights. The lights are on. Uh, and so we kind of go, yeah, that's what we see. But Jesus' kingdom is much more like if, if mildew got into the walls. And, and now mildew is kind of gross, but imagine it wasn't something gross. Imagine it was something that brought even more power. And eventually it takes over the wires in the wall. That's what Jesus' kingdom is like. You look at it and you're like, that's not really much. Here we have this king that claims to be in power and he's not really in power. But Jesus doesn't need to be in power because his power is a spiritual power, not a worldly power. And then he goes on to say in verse 37b, I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't say a truth. A truth among many, the truth. I went and looked it up in the Greek. It's the truth. He is saying the truth. Here is the story behind all stories. Here is the truth behind all truths. There Jesus stands quietly under trial no political slogans. He's barely saying any words. He's not commanding an audience with his power. He's not seeking power. Rather, he's powerless. And he's saying, I have come to testify to the truth. And if you're Pilate, you're like, where's your army, bro? <laughs> uh, wh what's going on here? I mean, Jesus is not gaining power. He's losing power. He's losing followers. He doesn't have great rhetorical speech here, and he's about to die. 
And Pilate looks at him, and Pilate can't quite figure it out. And I find a lot of comfort in that. And here's why. You and I, as we look for truth, we want something bold, we want something powerful. And Jesus is bold and powerful, but it's not in the way that the world is bold and powerful. And as Pilate looks at this man who is poor and doesn't seem to have any political power and is about to die on the cross, he sees someone that's worth blowing off. So often in our culture, the truth that Jesus has come to testify about is blown off because we only see what Pilate sees. No real power and no real people with power. I mean, all his followers have abandoned him. Uh, and, And yet Jesus says this about people and truth. He says in verse 37c that there are a people of the truth, but it's not those who have a great moral compass. It's not those who have the right worldview. It's not those who are committed to speak truth to power. The people of the truth are those who listen to the voice of Jesus. Wow. The people who have the truth, who are of the truth, who know the truth, are the ones who listen to the voice of Jesus. This should challenge us, people of God. Where do you get your truth? CNN? Fox News, Charlie Kirk, Rachel Maddow. Where where do you get your truth from? Uh, The Republican Party, the squad. Okay, we we have a lot to discuss here. I just throw out some stuff in the middle of the room. But if you're getting your truth from these people more than you're getting your truth from Jesus, you need to do a double take. Everyone who is of the truth, not a truth, not a power narrative in our culture, but everyone who is of the truth starts out here. They simply listen to the voice of Jesus, whether that voice comforts them or whether that voice offends them, whether that voice challenges them or whether that voice encourages them. They listen to the voice of Jesus. You know, sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can begin to listen to other followers of Jesus more than we listen to the voice of Jesus. We have so many Christian influencers out there. And a lot of times when someone becomes a Christian influencer, it is because they have found some truth about Jesus and they build a platform on that truth. But then what ends up happening is they champion that part of Jesus's message and disregard other parts. So we can talk about justice and righteousness, but we don't have to mention forgiveness of enemies. We can talk about sexuality and gender and God's plan, but we don't have to mention Jesus's concern for the poor. Uh, uh, Friends, Jesus, his teaching will offend us and encourage us and challenge us and comfort us. How are you doing on listening to him? Who are you listening to more than him? To be a person of the truth means to listen to Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, but there's part of you that listens to the voice of Jesus. I mean, there's some things in our culture that are normal because Jesus said them. We say things like, turn the other cheek, 
That came from Jesus. There's other things. Forgive your enemies, 70 times 7. That comes from Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you're actually on your way to becoming one because you're already listening to the voice of Jesus. If that's you and you found life in the teachings of Jesus, don't stop there. Explore more of what he says and more of his voice. Because here's the truth. Many people have found so much life in the voice of Jesus that they've given up their truth. They've given up their truth. They say, I'm no longer about my truth. I'm about Jesus' truth. I'm a, 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 I want to be a person of the truth who listens to the voice of truth, even if it offends me, even if I have to rearrange my life, even if I feel out of control of my existence, what Jesus says is true, and therefore I listen to his voice. Because it's not just that Jesus says what is true. Jesus, the Son of God, the Divine One, is truth incarnate. It's not just that Jesus says things that are true. It's that Jesus is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. Not a truth, but the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, either Jesus is crazy or he's telling the truth about the truth of who he was. And the irony is, as Andreas Kostenberger says, ironically, the one charged with determining the truth in the matter, that's Pilate, glibly dismisses the relevance of truth in the very presence of the one who is truth incarnate. So maybe you're here today, and maybe you're asking the question, what is truth? As you ask that question, don't walk away from Jesus. Don't dismiss Jesus. Explore Jesus' claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think if we were honest, if we were honest about what we really longed for, we would actually hope that the truest truth in the universe would be someone like Jesus. Someone who came into this world not to gain power, but to lay it down. Someone who didn't need to spend time with the powerful people, but brought his power into the midst of the sick and the poor and the outcasts. Someone who was not afraid to stand up to religious power, but yet at the same time invited them in to be part of his kingdom. Someone who was not afraid of brokenness. Someone who was not afraid of really messy, dark situations. This was Jesus, the truth. And I think if we're honest, we would want the truest truth in the universe to be someone like Jesus. And the truth is, it is. Jesus is the truest truth in the universe, the one who loves. The story ends with just, just a glimmer of what the truest truth looks like. Um, at the very end of the story, we are introduced to this character named Barabbas, and we don't know much about him. But in the last verses of the text, uh, Pilate goes out and he's trying to like not take the blame for this situation. He knows that Jesus is innocent, but he doesn't want to be the one that sends him to a death, death. So he goes out to the crowds and he says, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. 
So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, the one who says he's powerful, but it doesn't look like he has any power? And they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Here's Jesus, a king who looks like he has no power. Here's here's Barabbas, who's a criminal, maybe a murderer, seeking power. Jesus has every right to go free. Uh, But Jesus chooses in love, in sacrificial love, to die in the place of Barabbas. Jesus looks like he's out of control in the story, but he's absolutely in control of everything that's happening. And in Jesus' great love, he dies in the place of a sinner like Barabbas. And in his great love, he dies for sinners like you and me. What if the truest truth in the universe was Jesus? And what if Jesus' greatest truth for you was that he loved you and that he died for you on the cross and that he wants to show you more of who he is? Friends, you are invited. You are invited to so much more than chasing political narratives. You are invited to so much more than seeking something for yourself. You are invited to the truth of Jesus and to be loved by him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.